Lord, we thank you so much for the amazing grace that you have given and offered. Lord, if there's one that does not know you today, I pray that you would draw them by the power of your spirit. Lord, I ask that you would speak through Brian today. You would stir our hearts. And that, Lord, you would transform us more into the image of Christ. May your name be glorified this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray these things. Amen. A lot of special guests with us this morning. Good morning, Rock Point. Edie and I had had just finished speaking at at a marriage conference. And it was late. We were tired. We'd been packing up. And and we were walking through this dark parking lot of the church where we'd been. And I wasn't paying probably as much attention to my surroundings as I normally would. And as we walked out to our car, I stopped to open the door for her. When from behind me, a voice said, I've been watching you. <laughs> Busted. As I whirled around, I, I was relieved to see this guy that had actually been in the conference. And he said, I wanted to see how you treated her when no one else was around. Fortunately for me, that morning or that evening, he'd caught me on a good day. There, there have been other days when he probably wouldn't have been so impressed. But the point is, probably all of us have, have watched that couple out in the restaurant. And, and we've, we've drawn some conclusions about their relationship based on what we see. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever thought about your own relationship and what your relationship is reflecting to a world that's watching? This morning, the title of my message is Reflections of God. And it's a continuation of our spring marriage emphasis. We kicked off a couple of weeks ago with date night. Many of you were up here. We had dinner and a movie. And then we're going to end next week with a class, two Sunday morning classes, the same class called the Marriage Map. And, and in that class, we're going to look at something called the principle of the path and how that principle impacts our destinations in marriage, in life, in parenting. But this morning, this morning I want to look at something we, we call the doctrine of the Trinity. And I want to look at the fact that We're made in God's image. And I want to ask the question, what's the connection? We'll be in the book of John this morning. And if you're you're single, let me encourage you, don't press pause. Because what I'm really talking about this morning are godly relationships. And it's applicable to, to all of us. We'll be in the book of John, but before we get there, I need to lay some groundwork. And we're going to start in Genesis because there's a curious passage in Genesis. In chapter 1, this passage raises some questions about God and about man. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we read, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. 
Just a, a few verses later, down in chapter 2, we see God must have looked down at Adam and thought, that old boy is not going to make it by himself. And we know the story. He took Adam and he took from Adam a, a rib and he fashioned Eve and he brought Eve to Adam and presented Eve to Adam. And he conducted the first wedding ceremony. And I'm convinced that many of you were at Charlie Holton and Tracy's wedding yesterday evening. And, and I'm convinced that as I was watching Charlie, as he was standing there watching his bride come down the aisle, I saw the same look on his face that I, must have, I would have seen if I'd been there for the first wedding. It was that look of, this is the most beautiful woman on the face of the earth. Well, God, he concludes the marriage ceremony, and he says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So as we step back from those passages, a few interesting questions sort of develop. Who, who is this us in chapter 1? What does let us make man in our image mean? And the more subtle question is, what's the connection to marriage? In chapter 1, we see in Scripture the first hint of a plurality of persons within God. And as Scripture unfolds, primarily in the New Testament, through something we call progressive revelation, the doctrine of the Trinity is revealed. And it's revealed to show us that God eternally exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, one God. One God, three persons. Have you ever thought about God talking to himself? We'll get back to that. We also see that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so being made in the image of God means that, that man, male and female, is like God. Not identical to God, but like God and is made to represent or to reflect the image of God. Said another way, God is really saying, let us make man to be like us and to be a reflection of us, to be an image bearer of us. The resemblance of Adam and Eve before sin more clearly reflected the image of God. But after sin, the image of God became distorted. But this is important, but, but not erased. And so now, it's sort of like looking at male and female through an empty Coke bottle. You ever look through an empty Coke bottle? You, you can still see the image, but, but now the image is distorted. It's not quite as clear as it used to be. Well, theologians have come up with a number of views of what exactly does this mean then, being made in the image of God? There are three major views. 
And we could spend a lot of time right here. But my view is it's not just this one major view that we're like him in character or the second major view that we're like him in relationship or the third major view. But in fact, it's we're like God in every way. Being made in the image of God is in every way in which we're like him. Now, let me be clear. I did not say that we are exactly like God. We're not identical. But what I am saying is is that the more you understand about God, the more you understand God's character and who he is, his attributes, and the more you understand about man, the more similarities you're going to see. And one of those similarities is that being made in the image of God has to do with our interpersonal relationships. Now, it strikes me this morning that if you're single, you might be thinking, well, that's just great. So what you're saying is, is that to be an image bearer of God, I have to, to be married. But I don't think that's what Scripture's saying. Scripture is saying that males are made in the image of God and that females are made in the image of God. But when we look at a, a married male and female, we're looking at a male and female from a little bit different angle. It's a, it's a different vantage point, and we see a, a different glimpse of God. It's sort of like this tube here. For those of you that are sitting right in front of me, when I point this tube at you, what shape do you see? You see a circle, don't you? When I turn it sideways, what shape do you see? You see a rectangle. Same tube. Different viewpoint. So let me summarize. God eternally exists as three persons. Three distinct persons, one God. God created male and female in his image. God created the institution of marriage. God said, the two shall become one. A married male and female, two distinct persons becoming one. Three is one, two becoming one. Beginning to see some similarities. So let's continue to explore then, so what's the connection? What's the connection to marriage? Have you ever thought about the fact that God is in relation to himself? Have you ever thought about looking at the Trinity? Since we are made in God's image. And considering whether a Trinitarian relationship might just be the ultimate example that God's given us in Scripture to model our marriages after. Because I believe when we see a a godly marriage, when we see a a godly relationship, we should see this, this reflection of Trinitarian interaction. This morning, we're going to look at how Scripture describes this relationship, this, this beautiful, harmonious, loving, sharing, safe, never abusive relationship. Because I think the process of two becoming one and, and establishing harmonious interpersonal relationships is intended to be a reflection of the interaction within the Godhead. We'll be in the book of John, as I said, and so 
to set the stage for the section that we're going to be looking at, imagine with me for a moment, you've gone to the doctor, routine medical exam, and the doctor comes out white as a sheet, and he says, there's no good way of saying this, but you have a deadly medical condition, and you won't live long enough to see the sunset tomorrow. Imagine. Odds are that the discussion with your loved ones for those next few hours, they're going to contain some really important words. And that's the setting for where we're at, where we're at in John this morning. The words, they're in red in your Bible. Jesus is speaking. And he's at dinner with his disciples. And this section we're going to be looking at from chapters 13 in John through 17 is called the Upper Room Discourse. And the reason we're going to look at it is because it's rich in Trinitarian discussion. It's soaked in examples that let us see what a godly relationship looks like. This morning, I'd like to share six examples of what godly relationships look like as we sort of navigate through this section. Well, the first example is is that godly relationships... They reflect unity. I've given you a number of verses for each one that we're going to go through, but for the sake of time, we're only going to touch on just a few. And in chapter 17, verse 11, we see this interaction between the Father and the Son in carrying out God's plan for humanity. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they, meaning the church, may be one as we are one. If we had time to to read the upper room discourse in its entirety, one of the things you would see over and over and over again are examples of each person of the Trinity coming together in their own roles, contributing to one united plan. So what might unity look like in our relationships? (laughs) Well, I can tell you what it didn't look like in ours for the first 7 or 10 or 12 years of of our marriage. You see, when Edie and I, we're going to be celebrating 35 here very soon. But when Edie and I first got married, we were crystal clear that God intended two to become one. The fight at our house was over which one? Our personalities are as different as East is from the West. I am task-oriented. Edie is highly relational. And it's not that she doesn't get tasks done. It's just she prioritizes relationship over tasks. You see, she's the person in the story of the Good Samaritan. She's headed down the road, but she sees someone in need, and she stops because she prioritizes relationship over tasks. Me? Oh, I'm in the story too. I'm headed down the road. I've got somewhere I've got to go. I'm working on a project. If you ask me, it's probably a project for God. And for years, I was convinced that all of the problems, at least most of them, in Edie's life, they would go away if she could just get more task-oriented and focused and organized. And, And I tried to help her. Because you see, our problems were that 
that we, we didn't see each other's differences as differences. We saw them as weaknesses, and there were weaknesses that needed to be changed. And for years, we spent a lot of time grinding on each other, trying to help each other. And it took years for us to begin to appreciate the differences as we began to help each other. And I will never forget when the light finally clicked on for me. Edie and I had just finished talking to a couple, uh, working with her on their marriage. And, and I had been able to identify some areas in their, in their marriage that they were unaware of. And they had agreed. And they, and they said, let's, let's work on this. And we came together on this plan on how they were going to get from where they are to a lifelong, thriving, God-honoring marriage. That's the vision here at Rock Point for every marriage. And as I crowed on, Edie finally got that look on her face, and she said, you didn't even notice she was crying, did you? And I hadn't. And it was at that moment I realized, man, I got some gaps. And Edie's differences, they're not weaknesses. They're God's gift to this idiot for my weaknesses. Well, how about your own relationship? What are the challenges to unity for you? Are you still fighting over personality differences? Have you come together and agreed upon some of your oneness goals? You know, parenting, marriage. Have you looked at and agreed on the purpose of marriage? We'll be, we'll be looking at all of that next week in the, in the class, the marriage, the marriage map class. I think another area for unity is that it also means understanding the roles that God's given us for husbands and wives and embracing those roles. And if you're struggling in this area, can I recommend a book to you? I think it's the best one written. It's called Rocking the Roles by Pastor Robert Lewis. Well, number two, I think godly relationships also involve teamwork. Teamwork without competition. Chapter 16, verses 5 through 7, we read, Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me where you're going, because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And then jumping down to verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So imagine with me for just a moment what this conversation in heaven could have been like before the world had been created. As the members of the Trinity are having a little discussion about God's plan for humanity and everybody's role in it. Because you see, clothed in my own sinful, selfish nature, it's really not hard for me to imagine that the conversation might have been something like the son saying, no, whoa, 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 wait just a minute here. How come I have to go down there and get killed? Why don't one of you go? Or for the Holy Spirit to say, 
what are you griping about? I get to go down and bring glory to you. And not only that, I don't even get to say anything other than what you guys give me to say. Or for perhaps both of them to turn to the Father and say, could you go over your role again? What exactly are you going to be doing while we're down there saving humanity? But yet, we never see a hint of that. There's no competition. There's no jealousy. There's no selfishness. What we see is that each person of the Trinity is totally attuned to the other in carrying out God's plan. God's plan comes together by the perfect cooperation of each person. Well, likewise, couples are called upon to cooperate, to come together without competing. But because of our inherent selfishness, working together in marriage without competition can sometimes be a little challenging. Now, Edie and I have been involved in marriage ministry, as just one example, for what, over 25 years now. Most of the time spent on a, a volunteer basis. But there was a time where we were both in full-time ministry. And Edie's title was regional developer. And my title was regional developer. And after a while, I became responsible for managing all of the regional developers across the country. Kind of got the org chart in your head now? And one day, we're having a little discussion. And finally, I'd had enough. And I said to Edie, fine. If you don't want to do it that way, you're fired. To which she said, I quit. Now, technically, I don't think you can quit after you've already been fired. Okay? But that's probably another sermon. You know, submission to governing authorities. Or maybe learning to lead like Jesus. You know, it strikes me that in a crowd this size, you may be struggling in your own marriage. You may have messed up a lot of things. But here's your hope. At least you hadn't fired your spouse yet. Well, number three, godly relationships involve open communication. In chapter 14, verse 10, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus shows us that he had open communication with the Father. Repeatedly, he says, his words are not just his own. We already saw where the Spirit says, I will speak what I hear from the Father. Perhaps one of the most beautiful examples in Scripture of open communication, of transparent communication, of letting someone in, occurs in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And then just a few verses later, he asks, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus trusted the Father. And by trusting each other, open communication between spouses should allow us to express our deepest desires, our deepest needs, our deepest fears. That's intimacy. In to me, you see. 
Well, time really doesn't allow me to sort of unpack this. this really, there's a plethora of, of research now that shows the crystal clear c- connection between having a high level of trust in marriage, good, intimate conversation, communication, and thriving for a lifetime. But if you're struggling in this area, let me recommend a book to you. It's called A Lasting Promise by Scott Stanley. In fact, I put a couple of, of copies up here on the stage. And if you're struggling, let me uh, encourage you, come get one after the, the service. Well, number four, godly relationships involve beautiful descriptions. Chapter 14, verse 28, you heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And then down in chapter 15, verse 26, when the counselor comes, I will send to you, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who, co- who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. How often have you been in a conversation with a married person and heard them speak of their spouse in an unflattering or, or a degrading way? I mean, you know, think about it. Examples abound. My old lady, the bumper sticker that says, all men are idiots and I married their king. But yet, when we look at how each person of the Trinity talks about each other, here's what we see. We always see beautiful, complimentary, honoring, glorifying speech being used. The comforter, the helper, the counselor, the spirit of truth, the righteous father, I love my son and in whom, I am, in whom I am well pleased. All of those are just examples. And the speech used by the persons of the Trinity, it's glorifying. Now, likewise, Christian couples, we have this, this privilege of glorifying God by using glorifying speech about our, our spouse to and about our spouse. Really, the question is, what would I think? What would others think about your spouse if we'd never met them, but if we just listened to what you'd said about them? Number five, godly relationships involve teamwork. Chapter 17, verses 5 through 7. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before, with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. Doing life together as a married couple gives us many opportunities to share. Everything from menial household tasks to parenting. And it all presents us really with the question of the decision of, am I going to be selfish or am I going to share? All that belongs to the Father, Jesus said, is also mine. We see this division in labor as each person of the Trinity comes to work in the world. The Son completes the work that the Father gave him to do. The Spirit comes to continue the Son's work. You know, sometimes in sharing, we're faced with giving up something that is rightfully ours. Paul talks about this this great mystery in in Philippians chapter 2, where the Son gave up the glory temporarily he had with the Father as he came down to be a humble servant. Probably 
two most frequent examples that I see where couples stumble in, in this area of teamwork is in the area of time and finances. Are you sharing your time and finances? For time, examples abound. I mean, it might be that you've just recently had your first child. Have you made changes in, 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 the, in and around the house to help your spouse? Perhaps your wife has gone back to work. Are you helping? For finances, interestingly, in the last number of years, one area that I see couples struggling is, is that more and more I see them keeping two sets of books. What I mean by that is, and this is especially true if both are working outside the home, there's my money and, and, and your money. But you know what? I don't think that this, that's a oneness decision. Now, I realize that if you're in a blended family situation, your situation is going to look a little different. If you or your spouse or both of you have been previously married, some of your decisions, some of these issues are going to look a little different. Child support, alimony perhaps, college expenses. And if you're, if you're struggling in this area, you're in luck. Well, we have a couple, Mark and Amy Bunges here, that lead our blended family ministry. And they would love to walk alongside you. In fact, they'll be holding some workshops in the coming months, some blended family workshops, and I would encourage you to take advantage of some of those. Lastly, number six, godly relationships involve comforting one another. Chapter 16, verses 31 and 32. You believe at last, Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you'll be scattered each to his own. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus had the Holy Spirit descend upon him. After being tempted in the desert, the Father sent angels down to attend to Jesus. The Father was tuned in to the needs of the Son. And I think that if our marriage is a reflection of this relationship, that your spouse should never feel alone. So can I encourage you to take a risk this coming week? Talk to your spouse about, am I meeting your needs? What do I need to change to be a comfort, to be a help? As we close this morning... The God of the universe has revealed himself in Scripture as the triune God. And we are called upon to be like God in character. But we're also called to be like God in our relationship with others. Everything about our lives, our desires, our motives, our actions, our words, everything is influenced by our view of God. And I'm convinced as we come to know Him, as we come to deepen this relationship, that that should impact every relationship that we have with our friends, with our families, with our loved ones, with our, in our workplace, in our church, and certainly in our marriages. The fact is, is that many of our friends and neighbors, they don't seek God. But almost universally, they are interested in discovering the, 
secret to happiness in their relationships, in their marriages. And if we are reflecting God, then they will see God. By understanding the glorious model that the persons of the Trinity present in their relationship, we all have the opportunity, the privilege, and I believe the responsibility to glorify God by modeling godly relationships, by modeling Trinitarian interaction. The world's watching. And when they look at your relationship, do they see a glimpse of God or what? As we close this morning in prayer, I'd like for you to ask God, what are you saying to me this morning about my relationships? What do I need to change? Not what does my spouse need to change, but what do I need to change about my relationships? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the model that you and the Son and the Holy Spirit have given us. Oh, Lord, help us to reflect the glorious harmony that you display. May you be glorified by what others see in us. Amen.